Hello and welcome to another version, another episode of the Hawk Takes Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Boyson from the Hockey Writers, and we are going to take an in-depth look at the week that was in Chicago hockey. Blackhawks had another week, uh, another four games off the schedule as this nightmare season continues um not another good week that is for sure um and the longer this goes on um you know it's just it's getting harder and harder to come up with excuses to even watch this team right now um and at this point as a as a fan you, you know you never want to <coughs> You never want to root against your team, per se. Um, but right now, losses are are better for this franchise. Because the worse this team gets, they're going to be forced to make the big changes it needs. I'm not just talking about getting rid of Jeremy Colleton. I'm talking about firing Stan Bowman. I've been one of his biggest supporters, apologists, whatever you want to call it, for the last few years. Um, but I can't, I can't support him anymore with what's going on here. It's time to move on. This is on him. Um, Jeremy Collinson's not good at his job. I'm not saying he'll never be a good NHL coach. He might be someday, but he's in way over his head. And yes, the roster is not great, but it should be better than it is. And you can't let Stan Bowman put in another coach, um, cause he's the guy that thought it'd be a great idea to fire one of the all-time winningest head coaches in NHL history who needed there was a change was needed here again I've said it before I wasn't necessarily completely against letting Joel Quinville go but he thought it'd be a great idea to replace him with Jeremy Colleton who you know wants to be the smartest guy in the room and uh, just, he's just, no, there's no, <clears throat> there's no progress being made. There's no, uh, there's nothing you can, s- there's nobody you, you see getting better, really. And that's going to be a problem when you've you got these young guys like Kirby Doc and Adam Boquist and you start bringing up any more of your young kids. You know, I hear it all the time on Twitter and, and other places when, I start talking about the ice hogs and people want to see this guy and this guy and this guy. I don't see any of these guys getting any better under a Jeremy Colleton. There's no development. There's no progression. And that's why it's got to change. So last week, the Blackhawks had uh, four games since we last chatted with you. Starting last week, Thursday, a week ago, they uh, were in Arizona to take on the Coyotes, and um, yeah, it wasn't pretty. They uh, fell behind two to nothing five minutes into the game, uh, and they were down three nothing after the first period. And they they finally finally got on the board um, in this that second period. 
Nick Schmaltz, by the way, has only had two assists over his last five games. Both of them came in the game on Sunday against the Hawks. Here's a shot. Good save. Gilbert. Rebound. They score! The rebound followed by Jonathan Taze, and the Hawks captain puts his team on the board. Highlights courtesy of NBC Sports Chicago. <coughs> Pat Foley on the call. That was Jonathan Taves picking up his seventh goal of the year. Dominic Kubelik and Dennis Gilbert on the assist. It was Gilbert's first assist uh, of his NHL career. That came just six minutes into the second period. Made it three to one. It seemed like maybe they'd get a little life into them after just not bothering to show up for the first period, as we've seen so many times this season. Uh, and then they gave that goal right back a little over two minutes later. Nick Schmaltz scored, and uh, it was 4-1. It was 5-1, and then they they got a power play goal from Dylan Strom uh, late in the third period with Debrinkit and Gustafson on the assists. They ended up losing that game 5-2. They were outshot 30-40, to 40, <clears throat> 144% of the faceoffs. They went 1-3 for three on the power play, 4-4 four for four on the penalty kill, uh, and Robert Leonard made 35 saves on 40 shots. Um, you know, at this point, after this game, they had lost nine out of 12 with five of those six losses by three or more goals. So they're not just losing; they're getting their asses kicked on a nightly basis. You know, you could take losing to better teams if the effort is there, but they're losing to everybody with no effort. That's on the coaching staff. Um, after the game, uh, Robert Leonard, not a guy who is afraid of speaking his mind, as we have quickly learned. Um, he was asked by Ben Pope of the Chicago Sun-Times if he felt um, the defense was capable of stopping opponents with both Duncan Keith and Calvin DeHaan out. Um, by the way, Calvin DeHaan will probably be out the rest of the season, four to five months with a shoulder injury as a report. And uh, he defended his defenseman and called out the forwards, Leonard did. And uh, here's the exact quote from the Hawks goaltender. It's not about the defensemen. The defensemen are working as hard as they can. In the league right now, in the past few years, you have to defend as five. Defensemen are not the only ones. We have to be, a co we have to be cohes cohesive, work together. They have to handle a lot of of three-on-twos and two-on-ones and three-on-ones every period as well. They're, they're going the best they can together with me, and it's about all of us working together. Defense, defense is easy to look at, but our defense is good, really good. We have really good defensemen, but it doesn't matter which defensive star in this league you're going to put on your blue line if you don't work together as five-man units. That's how you play a defense. That's how then that's why they're getting odd man rushes all the time. You can handle a couple odd man rushes a game, but it's not a couple. It's a lot. So there's your Blackhawks goaltender <coughs> calling out the, the forwards on his team for playing shitty defense, and good for him. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. And that Coyotes goal, the fourth goal that they got uh, right after the Hawks got on the board, uh, that came as a direct uh, result of Dylan Strom losing a face-off. And uh, shortly after that, Ben Pope again tweeted out this uh, pretty stunning chance among 118 NHL centers who have taken over 200 face-off this season. Strom's 45.3% ranks 108th. That's a big problem. 
and that is why I don't think the Blackhawks should even consider bringing him back next year. Not for the money that people are saying. Not for five, six million dollars a year. Sorry, this team is strapped. You can't, you can't pay that kind of money in a guy that doesn't win faceoffs and only produces when Alex DeBrincat is on his, is on his left wing. He's one dimensional. Really, it, the numbers have proven it while he's here. When he's with DeBrincat, DeBrincat, he's great. When he's not, you don't even know he's dressed for half the games. <coughs> And when you got a Kirby Doc in the wings waiting to get his chance to to solidify a top six spot, doesn't make sense. If I were whoever is going to be in charge of the general manager's job come the trade deadline, if it's still Stan Bowman or if it's an interim, <clears throat> I would really consider s- trading Dylan Strom by the deadline. See what you can get for him. I would not bring him back at this point for the money he wants. If he wants to come back for a little bit of a discount, maybe a short-term deal, two-year contract, maybe for eight, nine million total, I'd consider that. But the numbers people were putting out there, you know, five, six, seven million dollars a year to bring in here, that's not happening. It better not, at least not here. Let let that be somebody else's problem. In the uh, final. <clears throat> Stat of that game kind of piggybacks on what Robert Leonard said. Uh, the Coyotes had a 15-6 to advantage in high-danger scoring chances. That is how you lose 5-2. to Then Saturday night, the Hawks were in St. Louis <clears throat> where things looked great. <clears throat> After a scoreless second period, or scoreless first period, Brendan Saad scored a pair of goals, one in the first minute of the second period, another in the first minute of the third period. And then Patrick Kane scored <clears throat> four minutes, a little over four minutes into the third period to put the Blackhawks up three to nothing. Patrick Kane toward the middle, snap it off, he scores! Patrick Kane blew it by the stick side of Jordan Bennington. Everything looked to be going great at that point. As I mentioned, Saad had two goals, his ninth and tenth on the year. Taves had the primary assist on both of those, 13th and 14th helpers. Gustafson picked up the secondary assist on the first goal. King's goal that we just heard there, courtesy of NBC Sports Chicago. Dylan Strom, Alex Debrinkit with the assists. And uh, that's when everything fell apart. 15-44 left to go. And the Blackhawks lose 4-3 in regulation. Uh, the Blues' first goal was a direct result of a William of an Alex Nylander turnover. I keep calling him William, maybe because I'm hoping one day it will be William, not Alex. We traded for the wrong Nylander. <clears throat> then they gave up a pair of goals in 12 seconds um, to tie the game. And then Justin Falk <clears throat> won the game late in regulation. Uh, Alex Nylander, just that trade is getting worse and worse by the day. That trade is one of many reasons Stan Bowman need, should have been shit-canned a long time ago. Um, he's terrible. I, I want Alex Nylander to be good. 
and there's been flashes where you're like, okay, he's he's gonna be a pretty good player, and then just then he goes through these stretches where, you know, he's just not good. Everything that we've heard out of Buffalo so far has been proven true. And it gets and he has a long leash. He has a much longer leash than any of the other other youngsters that we've seen over the years. And that's got to be coming from the from upstairs, because I think they realize, crap, we made a bad deal here. We made a mistake trading for this guy, so we got to give him every chance to somehow mir- miraculously become a good player. You know, for a team that is is desperate for puck moving right handed defensemen, you trade one of your better young prospects. Now, I'm not saying. Joki Haru is going to be an all-star, but right now he'd be way more valuable to this team than Alex Nylander, who <clears throat> should be in Rockford. He has no business in the NHL right now. Just bad, 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 bad management of this team. That game ended a five-game streak with a power play goal for the Blackhawks. As they went 0 for 4 on the power play, they did go 3 for 3 on the penalty kill. They were outshot 22 to 38. Corey Crawford, 34 saves on the night. <coughs> the next night, the Blackhawks were back home at the United Center and they picked up their only win of the week um, against the Minnesota Wild, who have been playing much better hockey of late. For a while, they were one of the only teams worse than the Blackhawks, but they've since passed them up. But the Blackhawks able to win a 5-3 to three, um, back and forth contest. Kane opened the scoring uh, about eight minutes into the game with Nylander picking up an assist. It was Kane's 16th goal of the season. And about four minutes later, <clears throat> he struck again on the power play to put the Blackhawks up 2 to nothing. Kane carries on. Left in, his pass jumped away from the brinket. It's held into Taves. He dropped it to Kane right in the middle. He shoots. He scores! Patrick Kane, a nice setup from Jonathan Taves after the Wild. Had it failed to clear. A good keep on the boards. Results in the puck in the back of the net. The Blackhawks quickly gave that lead back, though. It was tied at two at one point before David Camp put them up three to two at his fifth goal of the season. Excuse me. From Murphy and Gustafson. Uh, but the Wild <clears throat> forced another tie, 3 3, uh, into the third period. But then Brendan Saad scored his uh, third goal in the, in the last two games to give them a 4 3 lead. Murphy with another assist for, and Taves. And then uh, Patrick Kane completed his hat trick with a empty net goal. Gave the Hawks a 5-3 victory. Jonathan Taves had three assists on the night. He's up to 17 on the season. They actually outshot the Wild 27-26. 162% of the faceoffs. One for two on the power play. 0 for one on the PK. And Robert Leonard made 23 saves. It was Patrick Kane's sixth career hat trick. During the game, Eric Stahl. Picked up his 1,000th career point. Um, Brendan Saad is finally <clears throat> getting some puck luck. He uh, 
you know, he's, we've mentioned it many times that he's, uh, he's had so many chances this season, but he hasn't been able to finish. You know, he gets the puck on a stick and he either whiffs or he hits the post or he misses the net or goal, you know, he just hasn't had the finish that you'd like to see, you know, with all the quality chances he had. And Sod's played great all season long. It just, just gets that puck on his stick and it just, uh, you know, for whatever reason, hasn't been able to finish, but he had three goals over the weekend. The the, the game-winning goal against Minnesota was kind of a little goofy <clears throat> redirection, but he was owed a few of those after some of the bad luck he's had early in the year. So I'm happy for Brendan. He's, uh, a, you know, I'm glad he's having his success. He's up to 11 goals on this season and playing some of the best hockey he's ever played. Definitely the best hockey he's played in his second go-round with the Blackhawks. It was another multi-goal lead blow, uh, blown for the Hawks. <clears throat> they were up 2 nothing, And um, blew that, as we mentioned. It's the fourth time in the last seven games the Blackhawks have blown at least one multi-goal lead. That's why they're in last place. And <clears throat> finally, last night, they were back on the United Center ice to take another beating from the Colorado Avalanche, who just own this team right now. The uh, Avalanche went up one to nothing about eight minutes into the game, and then Ryan Carpenter was able to get that goal back rather quickly. Stays on the hot bench. Oh, saved by Corey Crawford just a moment ago. After giving up that goal across ice speed, now a chance, a shot. Ryan Carpenter. It's a beautiful pass from Alex Debrinket, and the Hawks have tied it. It was Ryan Carpenter's second goal of season. That highlight was courtesy of the national broadcast over at NBC Sports Network. Alex Dabrinkit with the lone assist, but from there it was all avalanche. They went on the win 4-1. Miko Rantanen, Gabriel Landeskog, Nathan McKinnon, they just do what they want against this team. <clears throat> Blackhawks were outshot 36 or 32 to 36. Faceoffs were even. The Blackhawks went 0 for 3 on the power play, 2 for 2 on the penalty kill. And Corey Crawford made 32 saves against 35 shots. Duncan Keith was back from his groin injury. He returned. But Brent Seabrook watched from the press box as he was a healthy scratch for the third time this season. And, um, yeah, that's a thing. And it's <clears throat> deservedly so. And Jeremy Colleton didn't, to his credit, didn't sugarcoat it when asked about it. Um, was asked if he feels that he might lose the room for that. And he says, I don't think so. This team wants to win. And um, basically having Brent Seabrook out there doesn't help our chances to win. And he's not wrong. Sure, he's made some bad decisions, but, uh, you know, he's sticking to his guns with this one. We'll see if he gets back in the lineup tonight. I would imagine he does in Winnipeg. Um, you know, and this could be a call from the front office, too. You know, Seabrook's a, a guy with a lot of pride and a competitive spirit. I mean, he says what any hockey player <clears throat> is going to. He's, he thinks he's still playing at a top level he's wrong 
but he in his brain he thinks he's still has a lot to offer so you know maybe this is a move from the front office to say hey let's uh let's see if we can get him mad enough to waive that no movement clause and maybe we can unload his contract i don't think that scenario is actually happening nor do i think if it is and he does move wave his no movement clause i don't think you're going to find anybody dumb enough to take that contract but you never know you know somebody actually traded for milan lucic's contract last summer so anything is possible but it's unlikely um so we'll see how that works out tonight when the hawks are back in action in winnipeg another game that will be cringeworthy i'm sure there's a little drama late in the game. Defenseman Sam Girard had a bit of a late hit on Alex Debrinkit that sent him flying awkwardly into the end boards. <clears throat> uh, it took him a little while to get up, but he stayed in the game. Um, a lot of people thought it should have been a penalty. Should have, you know, Carlton called it boarding. Not sure if it was boarding. He didn't hit him from behind, but he did hit him when he didn't. It was, at the very least, it was interference. Debrinkit didn't have the puck anymore, and you know the whistle was a, was blown right there and he still hit him so <clears throat> it was definitely a penalty he was fined today for almost $2000 for the play and uh these two teams will get together for the final time this season Saturday night in Denver um so you can bet Sam Gerard will face the music for that somebody will be out there looking for him Dennis Gilbert or you know, Debrinket and Gerard, you may remember last week or a couple weeks ago, whenever it was, fought each other in a game. So there's obviously some bad blood there for whatever reasons. Um, so you can bet that will be addressed <clears throat> Saturday night. At least it better, you know. <clears throat> I criticized Dennis Gilbert for sticking up for Debrinket in that Coyotes game last week. But that, because it wasn't the right time to do it, but... You know, you get you get Gerard out there early in the game, his first shift. You send Gilbert out there. Gilbert goes after him, get a few whacks. You get a little revenge, and you move on. That's the time to do it. So let's see if that happens. At least that's a reason to tune in for the first couple minutes of that game on Saturday, because we all know the Blackhawks are owned by the Avalanche right now. We'll probably lose by six or seven goals. So tune in, see Jam- Sam Gerard get punched in the face, and then. Uh, Go see the new Star Wars. Hawks are now 4-9-2 in their last 15 games. As I mentioned earlier, at this point, the more losses, the better. Because then that means changes will come. And, um, you know, the changes will come faster if people stop showing up to the games, too. That's when things really start to happen. Is when those empty seats. And they can... The team can brag about their sellout streak as much as they want, even though <clears throat> they're begging on every broadcast on the website for people to buy tickets. I mean, if these games are so loud, how come I can? you're telling me I can buy tickets? <clears throat> so they can have their fake sellout streaks, but when people stop showing up, you can say the game is sold out and still have 10,000 empty seats, 5,000 empty seats, whatever it is. You know, just ask the St. Louis Cardinals about that. They're masters of saying, <clears throat> you know, look at all the tickets we sold and the stadium's half empty. 
Um, but that's bad optics. As soon as those empty seats start showing up on TV broadcasts, that's when things probably will really change. But they keep playing bad. People are going to stop going. This is a team that, this is a franchise that had to fight for a long time to get people interested again. And they're, the people are jumping ship in, in droves. Some other news and notes as we wrap up the Blackhawks discussion for this week. Assistant coach Mark Crawford will be back behind the Hawks bench on January 2nd after the Hawks concluded their investigation of allegations of abuse against him. Um, Crawford revealed that he has been getting professional counseling and regular therapy since 2010 when he realized that maybe some of his actions were not healthy for him and those around him. He apologized to the players that made the accusations against him uh, and um, apologized sincerely for his wrongdoing and his past behavior. So he'll be back behind the Blackhawks bench. Um, You know, it it seemed legit. Personally, I would have rather had Crawford, you know, get up in a press conference and have to say it on a microphone as opposed to just being written down in a statement. But, you know, if he has, in fact, been getting therapy for nearly 10 years because he realized, you know, he was had some unhealthy behavior problems, and kudos to him. And there's still a chance that he can be Blackhawks' interim head coach by the end of the season, hopefully sooner rather than later. And then uh, the other little tidbit, as I figured, uh, Kirby Doc, Adam Boquist, neither of them are going to be released to play for either Canada or Sweden in the upcoming World Junior Classic uh, Championship, which is happening uh, in the Czech Republic starting one week from today. So as much as the Canadian media was begging for Kirby Doc to go, he's staying in the NHL. Adam Boquist is staying here too. That's the right move. Um, listen, I know it's a great experience. I know these guys love to do it. They don't have, they don't have many opportunities, you know, one or two times max probably. Um, but they're not going to learn anything dominating against teenagers, uh, halfway around the globe. These two need to be playing in the NHL. And it seems like that's going to be the plan going forward. Blackhawks will have three games before we meet again next week, Thursday. Hawks, as I mentioned earlier, they're at the Winnipeg Jets tonight and at the Colorado Avalanche on Saturday night. The last time we will face them, thank God. And then the last game before the short Christmas break will be Monday at home against the New Jersey Devils. A team they beat in a shootout out east just a couple of weeks ago. And that will be their final game until the following Friday, the 27th, as they get a couple of days off for Christmas. So that's our look at everything Blackhawks. (coughs) We'll see how things go tonight in Winnipeg. Let's take a look at the uh, standings around the league. We'll start with the Central Division, 
where the St. Louis Blues are back on top with 50 points. That is the most in the Western Conference. Colorado Avalanche are right behind them with 47. Then the Jets, who the Hawks will see tonight with 42. Dallas right there with 42 as well. Jets have the tiebreaker because they have one more win. We have Nashville with 37, Minnesota with 37, and the Blackhawks with 32. In the Pacific, the Arizona Coyotes. More on them in a second. They had a big week. They lead the division with 44. The Golden Knights are up to second with 43 as the Edmonton Oilers are slowly coming back to real life. They are down to third place with 42 points. Calgary's there with 40. Then we have the Canucks with 36, the Sharks with 34, the Kings with 33, and the Ducks with 32. Blackhawks also 32 points, but Blackhawks have fewer regulation wins, fewer overall wins. Ladies and gentlemen, the 2019-20 Chicago Blackhawks are the worst team in the Western Conference. Way to go. If the playoffs started today, you would have the Blues Avalanche Jets in from the Central with the Coyotes, Knights, and Oilers in from the Pacific. And our two wildcard teams would be the Dallas Stars and the Calgary Flames. Out East, in the Atlantic Division, the Boston Bruins with 49 points. They have a pretty good cushion in that division. The Buffalo Sabres... Back again to being kind of good at hockey. They're up to second place with 39 points. The Canadians are in third with 38, tied with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Then you have Tampa and Florida, both with 37. So that division is going to come down to the last week of the season for those second two playoff spots. Ottawa has 31, and Detroit with 21 in the Metro, you got the Washington Capitals, most points in the NHL, 53. And the Islanders are in second with 46. The Carolina Panthers are in third with 44 points. They're tied with the uh, the Penguins, but they have the tiebreaker for having one more regulation win on the season. The Flyers still hanging tough, 41 points. Then you have the Rangers with 36, the Blue Jackets with 34 And the Devils with 27. The Blackhawks will see the Devils on Monday night. If the playoffs were to start today, the Atlantic Division, you'd have Boston, Buffalo, Montreal in. Metro would have Washington, the Islanders, and Carolina in. And your two wildcard teams would be Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. So the Maple Leafs, the Lightning, and the Panthers would all be out of the playoffs right now. That would be huge disappointments for all three of those franchises for various reasons. And I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Looking forward to that Atlantic Division race from here on out. Should be a lot of fun. Metro 2. You got your top team, and then that rest of the division is pretty evenly matched. Look at our scoring leaders right now. David Pasternak of the Boston Bruins leads with... 28 goals. Jack Eichel. We'll talk about his play here. He's uh, pretty. He's pretty good at hockey. He's got 24 goals. He's second in the league. Then we have a whole bunch of guys tied for, tied with 21 goals. Leon Draisaitl of the Oilers. 
<clears throat> excuse me, Nathan McKinnon of the Avalanche, Austin Matthews of the Maple Leafs, and Alexander Ovechkin of the Capitals. We have three other guys who have scored 20 goals on the season. Sebastian Ajo of the Hurricanes, that Connor McDavid guy, maybe you've heard of him, and then Artemi Panarin with the uh, Rangers has 20. And you know who has 19 and is in 10th in scoring? Former Blackhawk Anthony Duclair, 19 goals with the Senators. That's one more than Patrick Kane has right now. But I guess somebody's got to score the goals in Ottawa, and that somebody has been Anthony Duclair. Good for him. <clears throat> He's going to get some general manager fired with his next contract this coming up summer. Our assists leaders right now, Connor McDavid, 39 assists. Two ahead of his teammate, Leon Dreisaitl, with 37. Then we have a tie for third, John Carlson, the fabulous defenseman of the Washington Capitals, and Brad Marchant of the Bruins both have 33. And Nathan McKinnon, fifth place, 31 assists. The only other player with 30 assists on the season so far, Jonathan Huberdeau of the Florida Panthers. Connor McDavid leads the league with 59 points. One more than Leon Dreisaitl with 58. Nathan McKinnon is third with 52. Brad Marchant, 51. And Jack Eichel has 50 points. Those are your only five players in the league with 50 points so far. We'll go tackle some of the big <clears throat> storylines across the National Hockey League real quick. It was announced that the New York Islanders are going to retire John Tonelli's number 27 and Butch Goring's number 91 uh, in 2020 ahead of a couple of games at the Nassau Coliseum. These are two members, um, key members of the Islanders dynasty to start the 80s where they won four straight Stanley Cups. Islanders captain Anders Lee currently wears number 27, but he has Tonelli's blessing to keep on wearing it, so there'll be no number change there. And the fact that the Islanders aren't retiring Goring's number 91 when the Toronto Maple Leafs and John Tavares is in town is, is a little disappointing. Come on. You had a perfect chance to do some world-class Jedi-level trolling, and, and you decide not to do it. So, disappointing. Come on, Islanders. Get that dig in. You've earned it. <coughs> Especially since you're in the playoffs right now and the Maple Leafs and Tavares are not. Evgeny Malkin of the Pittsburgh Penguins scored his 400th goal earlier this week. He is the fourth Pittsburgh Penguin to ever score 400 goals as a member of the team behind Mario Lemieux, who has 690 goals, Sidney Crosby, 451, and Yarmer Yager scored 439 goals while playing for the Penguins. He's also the seventh-born Russian, uh, Russian-born player to ever score 400 goals in the National Hockey League. He joins Alex Ovechkin, who has 679 goals, Sergei Fedorov, 483, Alex Mogilny, 473, Pavel Bure, 437, Ilya Kovalchuk, more on him in a second, 436, maybe, maybe not still active, and uh, Alex Kovalev finished his great career with 430 goals, so... Those are your seven Russian-born 400 goal scorers in NHL history. Jack Eichel, we've mentioned him 
climbing up the leaderboard in points. He has a point streak of 17 straight games. It's the longest in the NHL so far this season. He has 16 goals and 15 assists, 31 points in those 17 games. Also, he has 50 points on the season with 24 goals, 26 assists in just 35 games. He's the first Buffalo Sabre to have 50 points in 35 games or fewer since the 92-93 season when the great Pat LaFontaine had 50 points in 27 games and Alexander McGillney, who we just mentioned, had 54 points in 31 games. They did that in the same year. He is uh, definitely throwing his hat in the ring for Hart Trophy considerations. And if the Buffalo Sabres make the playoffs this year, it's going to be because of Jack Eichel. And, yeah, you've got Connor McDavid, but, you know, Leon Dreisaitl's been pretty damn good, too, so that could split some vote. David Pasternak's been pretty good, but that's a super talented team, too. Um, I mean, it's most valuable. You take Jack Eichel off the Buffalo Sabres right now, and the Buffalo Sabres are a hot, bad team. So, you know, the Hart Trophy's not for the best player. It's for the most valuable. And I'd... Uh, I'd strong if I had a vote, I don't, but if I had a vote right now, if I had to vote for the MVP of the league, I would seriously consider Jack Eichel. He's been fabulous and the most valuable player on a team that is in a playoff spot right now and probably wouldn't be without him. Almost certainly wouldn't be without him. The biggest news story of the week was Taylor Hall, former Speaking of Hart Trophies, the 2018 Hart Trophy winner, after being a healthy scratch for a couple of games for precautionary reasons, the New Jersey Devils finally traded him to the Arizona Coyotes. The Devils will get forwards Nick Merkley and Nate Schnarr, along with defenseman Kevin Ball, and a conditional first-round pick in the the 2020 draft, and a conditional third-round pick in the 2021 draft. Um, the Devils also sent forward Blake Spears out to Arizona with Hall, and he had an assist on the game-winning goal in his debut, a 3-2 win over the Sharks on Tuesday. Good for the Coyotes. They're showing they want to win. You know, they've had a very active few months. They traded for Phil Kessel who's been good, not great out there, but that just shows, you know, you trade for a guy like that, that shows you're committed. Um, they locked up Nick Schmaltz, they've locked up Clayton Keller, now you trade for Taylor Hall, which is probably going to be just a pure rental. You never know, but you'd be kind of silly to be Hall at his stage of his career. This is probably going to be his last chance to get one of those big-time free agent contracts. So, you know, he's... He'd be silly not to test the free agent market and see what's out there. You know, he may love love it in Arizona, and they may make a special run that may make him want to stay, but you should at least listen to whatever everybody wants. There's no way he's going to get signed to any kind of extension with Arizona before July 1st. I don't see that happening. So for them to go after, you know, a pure rental-type player, but to do it early in the season, it shows they want to win. They're in first place. They're a good team. Good for them. 
you know, the Arizona Coyotes, they've been the butt of a lot of jokes from myself and many others over the years. But if they can somehow get that market to pick up and their attendance is starting to, to pick up, and not just because, you know, the Blackhawks are in town or the Rangers are in town or the Maple Leafs are in town, they're starting to get bigger crowds people wearing actually wearing coyotes jerseys and that's good you never want to market to fail it's not good for the game it's not good for the league so if they can get a winner in arizona and get get people excited about going to hockey out there that's a win for everybody it's more revenue for the league it's more exposure for the league it's it's good everybody wins when non-traditional markets succeed i know hockey snobs you know, in original six cities, traditional cities, Turner knows that teams in Las Vegas or teams in Arizona or teams in Texas, North Carolina, whatever it is, Florida, we've heard all about it. But when those non-traditional markets succeed and start becoming hockey hotbeds, it's good for everybody. Look what's going on in Dallas with the World, uh, the Winter Classic. <clears throat> They've sold over 80,000 tickets for that in Dallas to see a team from Texas and a team from Tennessee play each other in the Cotton Bowl on New Year's Day. That's impressive. That's good. That's good for the game. Uh, Islanders made a little other news this week. They are loaning Oliver Wallstrom to Team USA for the World Junior Classic. The forward was the... 11th pick overall in the 2018 draft. There were a lot of people that wanted the Blackhawks to select him at number 8, uh, but they took Adam Boquist instead. Um, he has three goals and six assists for the Bridgeport Sound Tigers in the AHL this year. He has no points in nine NHL games with the Islanders this season, so not exactly lighting it up. But uh, he's still only 19, so a lot of development to go. He'll play for Team USA. Sidney Crosby, we mentioned him uh, as one of the four 400 goal scorers in Penguins history. He's been skating for the last week as he uh, makes his recovery from muscle core surgery. They, he was originally given a six-week timetable when he had the operation on November 14th. So we're hitting the five-week mark <clears throat> since that happened. So he seems to be right on schedule. Uh, he has not practiced yet with the team, but he has been skating on his own. So another week or two, and the great Sidney Crosby could be back in action. Definitely will help the Penguins in their pursuit for a playoff spot. Um, Ilya Kovalchuk's time with the Los Angeles Kings finally came to an end, even though it's been over for a long time, but it's officially over now. He was placed on unconditional waivers and was cleared and is now an unrestricted free agent. He was a healthy scratch with the Kings since November 9th, so he hasn't played in six weeks. Uh, he said he still wants to play for contender and would take league minimum to do so. And there were some uh, whispers out there that the Boston Bruins might have interest in him. That could be a potential landing spot. I mean, if he's willing to get uh, take league minimum, he, he could be a nice little third-line winger on a team that doesn't need him to be the 50-goal scorer he once was. Uh, so he, he, he could still... Uh, 
contribute to a contender, I think. Um, you know, he gets in a situation where he's not looked upon to be the leading scorer, you know, play on some a third line, maybe a second power play unit. For league minimum, you're going to get value out of him. There's no doubt about that. <clears throat> uh, the Sabres, they demoted Casey Middlestead to the AHL. He's going to be playing for Rochester, uh, the eighth pick, eighth overall pick in the 2017 NHL draft out of Eden Prairie, Minnesota. He has just four goals and nine points in 31 games for the Sabres this year. Just 17 goals and 39 points in 114 NHL games. He's going to get some time to figure it out in the AHL. Um, let's hope that Stan Bowman doesn't trade Adam Boquist for him anytime soon. Keep the phone out of him. This uh, <laughs> We don't want Casey Middlestead here in Chicago. <clears throat> some uh, tough news out of Philadelphia. Earlier this week, Oscar Lindbaum, one of their young forwards who was really having a putting together a real nice season for them, he will be out for the remainder of the season while receiving treatment for Ewing sarcoma, which is a form of bone cancer. So we wish Oscar all the best in his recovery, and hopefully we'll see him back out there soon. The Flyers uh, had a emotional night for him the other night. Uh, Tuesday night, I believe it was, when they hosted the Ducks. They wore their Lavender Hockey Fights Cancer jerseys for pregame warm-ups as a show of support for their teammate. And they had a little tribute video for him for the big for the sold-out crowd in Philadelphia during a stoppage of play. And they ended up winning that game 4-1. to one. So best of luck, Oscar. will be cheering for you from here on out. Uh, the Red Wings, early in the week... They finally ended their 12-game losing streak. They beat the Winnipeg Jets. It was their first win from November the 12th. And then the following night, they beat the Montreal Canadiens to win two in a row. So good for them. Um, they're one of the only teams worse than the Blackhawks, and that uh, that pleases me. And the Calgary Flames, they're up to uh, third, they're fourth place in the Pacific, but they're quietly creeping up on the struggling Oilers for a playoff spot. Um, ever since that whole Bill Peters thing where he resigned and should have been fired, they won seven in a row. They won their first seven games after Bill Peters resigned. They finally lost for the first time under Jeff Ward uh, Saturday against the Hurricanes, but they've been playing better hockey. And I think that's one of the things that was lost in the whole Peters thing. You know, he... You know all the terrible stuff that came out about him made people forget that he's not that good of a coach. He really isn't. He's overrated. And the Flames are showing it right now. They're playing much better without him. I'm sure it has a lot to do with the distraction being gone. But you know, besides being a dick, he's not a good coach. So, all right, enough NHL. Let's go into the AHL. Where the Ice Hogs and the Wolves had busy weeks. The Ice Hogs spent their week up in Canada playing some unfamiliar opponents. They started Friday night in Belleville to take on the Belleville Senators. First ever meeting between these two teams. They ended up losing 5-2. to two. They fell behind 2 to nothing, but came back to tie the game before giving up some goals in the third period. 
here's what head coach Derek King had to say about it. Yeah, I, I mean, we started a little slow for my liking, but I think we started to pick it up a bit. The second period was much better. The third, we were fine. You know, you tie it up, and then you, you just kind of relax a little bit, and that's a good hockey team over there, and they, they capitalized. That sound clip courtesy of the Rockford Ice Hogs. We thank them. And uh, as I mentioned, Senators had two-goal lead in the second period, but then Nicholas Bodine uh, had his first professional goal late in the period with uh, Reese Johnson and Ben Yauds picking up assists on the play. And then 28 seconds into the third period, John Quinville scored his fifth goal of the year with assists from Tyler Secura and Joseph Cramarosa to tie the game, but then the Senators came back, scored a goal, added an, an insurance goal, and then an empty netter at the end of the game for the insurance. The Ice Hogs were outshot 31-26. They went 0-for-7 on the power play, uh, which is not good, but 6-for-6 six six on the penalty kill. Matt Tompkins made 26 saves, and it was announced Tompkins will be heading uh, to Europe to play for Team Canada in the Spangler Cup, and he'll be joined out there by Blackhawks defensive prospect yet to be signed, Ian Mitchell. So there'll be some reasons to pay attention, as well as Christopher Stieg, former Ice Hog captain, is playing in the Spangler Cup. So there's some reasons to be paying attention to that traditional tournament over in Europe. <clears throat> the Ice Hog, or the Wolves were in action Friday night as well. They played up in Milwaukee against the first place Admirals. I made the trip up there to take in that game. They lost 4-1. to um, They actually scored first. Reed Duke, his seventh of the year from Nicholas Waugh and Paul, uh, Paul Cotter, gave the Ice Hogs a lead 11 minutes into the game. They quickly gave it back, though, and then the Admirals scored a pair of goals in the second period to take a lead before adding an empty netter. That was their seventh straight win on home ice, their third straight win against the Wolves. Um, Admirals outshot the Wolves 32-26. to Wolves went 0-6 on the power play, 3-for-3 on the penalty kill. It was good to see them. 3-for-3 three three on the PK. The last time they were up in Milwaukee, they gave up five power play goals, including four in the first period. So that was a much improved effort, at least on the penalty kill. Garrett Sparks made 28 saves in net. Uh, the Wolves got three injured players back in their lineup. Gage Quinney, Keegan Colasar, Terrell Goldburn all Back after missing a combined 21 games due to injury, Colsar had been out for about a month with an upper body injury, but uh, it was good to see him back on the ice. <clears throat> He's one of my favorite players to talk to in the Wolves locker room. Just a uh, great kid. Great quote, easy going, and uh, pretty good hockey player too. And then the next night, Saturday night, those two teams traveled down back down to Chicago. And for the rematch, and the Wolves had a little help. Brendan Peary scored a pair of goals, put them up 2-0. They gave away that lead, but then eventually won it in overtime. I, I thought we were quite honest. The first period, I thought 
since I've been here was the best group we played. We didn't have anything to show for it, but we were chipping pucks and we were going to work and we had a lot of session. So I, I think when we stick to that identity, we're be in good shape. And I, I, since I've been here from, I don't know what game it is, nine, 10, it's, we've slowly gotten better, slowly gotten more confident. And you know, that's something that's exciting and I look forward to it. That was the voice of Chicago Wolves winger Brendan Peary talked to us after the game. Uh, as I mentioned, he scored a pair of goals in that game. He had uh, hold on here, bring that back up. He scored on the power play early in the second period with Jimmy Schultz and Lucas Elvinez picking up assists. Then he had an even strength goal about 10 minutes later to increase the lead to two to nothing. It was a great play made by Keegan Kolasar. He won a uh, race to a puck along the boards, then shedded a defender and made a great tape to tape pass to Peary sitting at the side of the net for another goal. Um, it was just a fantastic play all around. Um, gave them a 2-0 lead, but in the third period, the first-place Admirals, top team in the AHL right now, they, they, they managed to come back. They scored a goal uh, about six minutes into the second period, or I should say the third period, and then uh, with less than a minute to go, and they had their uh, goalie pulled for an extra attacker, former Blackhawk Laurent Dolphin or Larry Dolphin. He redirected a shot past Oscar Dance for the victory. Or I should say to tie the game. But then Nicholas Waugh won the game in overtime. Great play. Spinning backhanded shot from the slot. Schultz and Peary had the assist. Just a little over a minute into overtime. Uh, big win for the Wolves. And then on uh, Sunday, <coughs> the Ice Hogs continued their trip through Canada in Toronto where they swept the season series, two-game season series over the Toronto Marlies, one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference, a uh, team that won the Calder Cup just two years ago. Uh, it was a back-and-forth game before the Ice Hogs pulled away. <coughs> John Quinville picked up his sixth goal of the year early in the first period to break the scoreless tie. Philip Holm and Philip Kurashev had assists on the play. Then Shortly after the Marlies tied the game, Kurashev struck again on a breakaway uh, for his fourth goal of the year. Morgan uh, McKenzie Entwistle and Nicholas Bodine with the assists on that play. The <coughs> uh, that actually tied the game at two because the the Marlies had a jumped out to a two to one lead. The Kurashev goal tied the game. Then it was John Quinville scoring the eventual game-winning goal eight minutes into the second period on a power play. Anton Wedin and Ben Yaudz had assists. Yaudz, four assists since his signing his PTO out of Indy. And then Nick Mutri added an empty net goal late in the game with Quinville and Kurashev picking up assists. They outshot the Marlies 24-13. They went one for four on the power play, two for two. On the PK, Kevin Lincoln, and not a, nearly as busy as he was his last start when he faced 56 shots. He only had to face 13 shots. He turned away 11 of them. Good enough for the win. And the Ice Hogs sweep the two-game series from Toronto. They beat them earlier in the year in a day game at the BMO Harris Center. 
Both teams were in action Tuesday, starting with the Chicago Wolves. They had one of their school day matinees, and they beat the San Antonio Rampage 4-1. to And here's what Rocky Thompson had to say about the way the team has been playing of late, much better of late. Things are starting to get uh, settled down for them. Here's what he had to say about that. That um, there's been a lot of teaching this year and um, patience, uh, not only on um, the players' part but on the staff as well. And you're starting to see some of it taking hold into our, our team game. And we've made some adjustments this year in how we're playing, um, like just some structural things um, that we thought might help out, and it has been. And then those younger guys that you're speaking of, uh, some of those things with this experience that they've had is is starting to take root as well and, and it's uh, we're starting to see some of the benefits on the ice that of course is rocky thompson uh as, as i mentioned his team's really starting to pick it together it also helps nicholas wah is feeling comfortable he had a huge game picking up a hat trick he scored the first two goals of the game after the rampage took an early one to nothing lead in the second period Wah had a breakaway shorthanded goal to tie the game. It was his fourth of the year with Patrick Brown picking up the assists. And then seven minutes into the third period, he finished off a really nice passing play with Lucas Alvarez and Curtis McKenzie to give the Wolves a 2-1 to lead. Brendan Peary added an insurance goal. His sixth of the season on the power play about seven and a half minutes later. Wah had the primary assist on that play with Dylan Coughlin also getting a helper. And then he finished off his hat trick with an empty net goal in the final minute of play. Wolves outshot the Rampage 26-24. They went one for four on the power play, two for three on the penalty kill. Oscar Dance made 23 saves for his fourth straight win. Later that evening, Tuesday night, the Ice Hogs finished up their three-game trip through Canada with a 3-2 to shootout win at the Laval Rocket. The Montreal Canadiens AHL team revenging a loss earlier this season in Rockford when the Rocket beat the Ice Hogs. The Ice Hogs fell behind 2 to nothing after the first period, but Joseph Cramarosa scored a shorthanded goal unassisted about 13 minutes into the second period to get them on the board. Then Dmitry Osipov, defenseman who was called up a few days ago from the Indy Fuel, the ECHL, scored his first goal of the season uh, to tie the game 11 minutes into the third period. Philip Holm with his team-leading 10th assist, as well as John Quinville, who had a really good week. And then in the shootout, the shootout went five rounds, and Anton Wedin was the only player to score in the fifth round to give the Ice Hogs the extra point they will be home this weekend as they will host the texas stars on friday night a game i will be at and then saturday night they will have their star wars night hosting the cleveland monsters the wolves will be hosting the texas stars this weekend too with a game at seven o'clock saturday night and then a sunday afternoon game that i'll be in attendance to 3 p.m both games against Texas, so the Texas Stars will be enjoying all that Illinois has to offer. The Ice Hogs right now are in second place of the Central Division as they have gone 7-3-0 and in their last 10 games. 
Uh, they're in second place with 33 points. They're still, you know, the Admirals are still way ahead with 47 points, the most in the AHL. And the, right now, the Wolves are in a playoff spot, which uh, with, they're tied for fourth place with 28 points. But they're tied with San Antonio and Manitoba. But they have uh, the highest point percentage out of that group. So they have the tiebreaker. So right now, if the playoffs were to start today, both the Ice Hogs and the Wolves would be in the playoffs along with the Milwaukee Admirals. So as somebody who goes and covers all three of those teams, I would love it if all three of them made the playoffs. Right now, the Wolves and the Admirals would be a first-round matchup, and the Ice Hogs would be playing the Iowa Wild. But if you read my weekly AHL Central recaps, on the hockey riders, you'll know that these things change because if you look, the Ice Hogs are in second place with 33 points, but the Texas Stars, who will be in Rockford and the Wolves this weekend, they're in last place but 25 points. They're only three points out of a playoff spot. So while the Admirals have a 14-point cushion on the Ice Hogs, only eight points separates first through last place. Um, so that is going to be a fun race to be covering the rest of the season. And again, you can head over to thehockeywriters.com and check out my weekly AHL recaps. I recap what each team in the division did, give you a little brief synopsis of all their games, any other off-season, or I should say off-the-ice transactions. There's a lot of those in the AHL, who, who's called up, who was sent back down, uh, try and get some good quotes, and uh, name a player of the week and keep you abreast on all the action in the AHL Central. I just love covering this division. I love getting to the rinks, and I've been blessed to cover some pretty good coaches uh, in Rocky Thompson and Derek King. So those come out uh, normally on Tuesdays, Tuesday mornings or Tuesday afternoons. Every once in a while, they don't get published until Wednesday, depending on how uh, busy things are, but I shoot to get those out Tuesday mornings before the actions picks up. So please keep an eye out for that over at thehockeywriters.com. That means it's time for our weekly history lesson. We'll take a look at some of the big moments in NHL history that have occurred in the upcoming week. We'll start with today, December the 19th. We uh, wish a happy birthday to the late Hall of Famer, Doug Harvey, who would have turned 95 today. Eric Weinrich, former Blackhawk, guy who played for a whole bunch of teams. He turns 53 today. Another former Blackhawk, Robert Lang, is 49. And former Blackhawk, current Buffalo Sabre goaltender, Carter Hutton, is 34. Happy birthday to those guys. <clears throat> In the December 19th, 1917, pretty big day in NHL history as it begins play in its first ever season with the first game occurring. The Montreal Canadiens beat the Ottawa Senators 7-4 and the Montreal Wanderers beat the Toronto Arenas 10-9. So not a lot of uh, goaltending that first night of NHL action. Montreal Wanderers defenseman Dave Ritchie scores exactly one minute into the game for the first goal in NHL history. There is a pub trivia question, if I've ever heard one. His second of the game, early in the third period, stands up to be the game winner 
after the arenas rallied down from 10 to 6. Harry Highland scored five goals for the Wanderers that night, and Reg Noble scored four for the arenas. Joe Malone of the Canadians scored five goals, including their first in the NHL in the win against the Senators. He finished with the season as the NHL leader with 44 goals and 48 points in 20 games. 44 goals and four assists in 20 games. That's a guy that never learned how to pass the puck. I guarantee you those assists were probably because his shot deflected off of a teammate. 1943, Harry Lumley becomes the youngest goaltender in NHL history when he plays for the Detroit Red Wings in a 6-2 loss at the New York Rangers. Lumley is just 17 years old and 36 days. 17 years, 36 days old when he takes the ice for the first time. He would uh, have a pretty successful career as he ended his NHL career in 1960, 17 seasons, he won 330 games and was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 1980. December 19, 1984, Wayne Gretzky reached 1,000 points in the fewest games in NHL history when he scored two goals and had four assists, leading the Edmonton Oilers over his future team, the Los Angeles Kings, 7-3. He scored his 1,000th point in just his 400th and 24th game. The previous record holder, Guy Lafleur, took him 720 games to do it. I mean, over two points a game. Just crazy. <clears throat> Just crazy. In 1987, Boston, the Boston Bruins and St. Louis Blues combined for the fastest two goals in NHL history. Ken Linesman scored with 10 seconds remaining in the third period to get Boston within 6-5, but Doug Gilmore won a face-off, and shot the puck into an empty net just two seconds later to secure the 7-5 win. In 1993, speaking of the Bruins, Ray Bork becomes the third defenseman in NHL history to score 300 goals. The milestone comes late in the second period of a 2-1 victory at the Florida Panthers. Bork joins Paul Coffey and Dennis Potvin as the only other two NHL defensemen to score 300 goals. He would go on to score an NHL record 410 before retiring in 2001. That is still the record to this day for most goals by a defenseman. And in 1995, the Calgary Flames traded center Joe Neuendijk to the Dallas Stars for center Corey Millen and 1995 first-round draft pick Jerome Aginla. Trade works out well for each team as Neuendijk helped the, da the Dallas Stars win the Stanley Cup in 1999, and Aginla becomes Calgary's all-time leaders in games played, goals, and points. That's right, Jerome Aginla, originally a star. December 20th, former Flyer player and current TV color man Bill Clement <coughs> will turn 69. Nice. Current Vancouver Canucks head coach Travis Green is 49. Former longtime Montreal Canadian defenseman Andre Markov will turn 41. Chris Tanev turns 30. And current Mont uh, Milwaukee Admiral forward Anthony Richard, uh, Predators prospect, turns 23. December 20th, 1938, Bruins rookie. Frank 
Brimsek scores, gets his third straight shutout and sixth in seven games in a 3-0 victory over the New York Americans at the Boston Garden. The win gives Brimsek six shutouts in his first eight NHL games. <clears throat> Speaking of goaltenders, in 1950, Turk Broda of the Toronto Maple Leafs becomes the first goaltender in NHL history to reach 300 wins. The milestone comes when the Maple Leafs beat the Canadians 6-1 at the old Maple Leaf Gardens. On December 20th, 1964, Bobby Hull scores in the Blackhawks' 3-2 win over the Bruins, giving him 28 goals in 28 games. Hull score, would go on to score 32 goals in the Blackhawks' first 35 games of the 1964-65 season, but injuries limited him to just 39 goals in 61 total games. 1969, Bobby Orr has five assists to lead the Bruins in a 6-4 win at the Pittsburgh Penguins. He assists on each of Boston's last five goals, including two by Johnny Buck. Orr goes on to become the first defenseman in NHL history to lead the league in scoring that season. 1973, center Henry Richard becomes the ninth player in NHL history to reach 1,000 career points. It comes with an assist on a second period goal by Jim Roberts in a 2-2 tie at the Buffalo Sabres. In 1981, Doug Smale, wonder if he's any relation to Judge Smales, of the Winnipeg Jets sets an NHL record from for the fastest goal from the start of a game when he scores five seconds after the opening faceoff against the St. Louis Blues. Smale's 15-foot wrist shot beats goaltender Paul Skidmore, who's making his NHL debut. Smale also scores the goal-head goal in the third period to help the Jets at a 5-4 victory. How would you like to be Paul Skidmore, your NHL debut, and you give up a goal five seconds in? Yeesh. And how would you like to have Skidmore as your last name for your entire life? That's just brutal. 1983, Guy Lafleur scores his 500th NHL goal, and Steve Shutt gets his 400th during a 6-0 victory against the New Jersey Devils. Shutt scores number 400 at the 355 mark of the second period, and Lafleur gets number 500 eight and a half minutes into the third period. And in 1985, Dennis Potvin of the New York Islanders becomes the NHL's all-time leading scorer among defensemen, Potvin gets his 916th career point, which broke a tie with the great Bobby Orr with a first-period assist in a 2-2 tie at the New York Rangers. Moving on to December 21st, former Blackhawk, Flame, a bunch of other teams, Sabres, the late Steve Montador would have turned 40 had he still been with us. Tragedy. Uh, of course, surrounding his story. Current Toronto Maple Leafs defenseman Cody Cece is 26. So is Las Vegas Golden Knights goaltender Malcolm Subban. And Bruins defenseman Charlie McAvoy will turn 22. <clears throat> On December 21st, 1937, Paul Thompson of the Blackhawks becomes the first player in NHL history to score a goal against his own brother. Paul scores at 19:51 of the third period against Boston Bruins goalie Tiny Thompson. It was the only goal in a 2-1 loss at the Boston Garden. Not only do you get to score against your brother, but you do it nine to spoiling a shutout bid with just nine seconds to go. 
pretty good stuff. 1972, Bobby Orr gets his 541st point, setting an NHL career record for defensemen, with an assist in the Bruins' 8-1 win over the Red Wings. It comes in Orr's 423rd NHL game and breaks a tie with Doug Harvey, who we just mentioned about his birthday a couple minutes ago. In 1991, Alexander Mogilny ties the NHL record for the fastest goal at the start of the game when he scores five seconds into the Sabres' 4-1 victory against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Mogilny matches the mark set by Doug Small that we just talked about, uh, who did it on December 20th, 1981. It was later tied by Brian Trottier of the New York Islanders on March 22nd, 1984. On the same night in 1991, Wayne Gretzky scored his 732nd NHL goal to move past Marcel Dion and in the second place all-time behind Gordie Howe. The goal comes in a Los Angeles Kings 5-2 loss to the Detroit Red Wings. In 2009, Martin Perdore of the Devils sets an NHL record with his 104th career shutout by making 35 saves in a 4-0 victory against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Brodeur breaks a tie with the great Terry Sawchuk, who had 103 shutouts in a career that ended in 1970. The shutout is... is Sorry, Brodeur's 104th shutout comes in his 1,032nd NHL game, all with the Devils, and it was the 580th victory of his great career. In 2014, goaltender Rob Zepp wins his NHL debut at the age of 33 when Jacob Voracek scores 10 seconds in the overtime to beat the Winnipeg Jets. Zepp becomes the oldest goaltender to win his NHL debut since 41-year-old Hugh Lehman did it with the Blackhawks in 1926. And in 2017, Ken Hitchcock becomes the third coach in NHL history to reach 800 wins comes when his Dallas Stars beat the Blackhawks 4 to nothing down in Dallas. Among the first to congratulate Hitchcock is Blackhawks coach Joel Quinville, the second man after Scotty Bowman to reach 800 wins. Moving on to December 22nd, former Blackhawk goaltender Scott Darling turns 31. In 1974, Phil Esposito becomes the sixth player in NHL history with 500 goals when he scores twice in the second period for the Boston Bruins in a 5-4 victory against the Red Wings. Esposito scores a shorthanded goal at the 446 mark and a power play goal at the 649 mark of the second period to reach the milestone, joining Gordie Howe, Bobby Hole, Maurice Richard, Frank Mahalovich, and Jean Beliveau as the only players with 500 goals. 1979, the Philadelphia Flyers extend their undefeated streak to a record 29 games with 20 wins and 9 ties in a 5-2 victory over the Boston Bruins. They surpass the previous mark of 28 games without a loss set by the 1978-77-78 Montreal Canadiens. They would extend their streak to 35 games before losing to the Minnesota North Stars on January 7th of 1980. In 1990, Paul Coffey, then of the Pittsburgh Penguins, becomes the second defenseman in NHL history to score 1,000 points. He hit that milestone with a second period assist on a goal by Kevin Stevens in a victory over the Islanders. In 1993, 
Dean Evenson scores a shorthanded goal at 320 of overtime to give the Dallas Stars a 3-2 win over the Anaheim Ducks. It is the first shorthanded goal in overtime since the NHL adopted the five-minute overtime period back in 1983. In 1996, Brett Hall joins his father, Bobby, in the NHL's 500-goal club when he gets a hat trick for the St. Louis Blues and a 7-4 victory over the Kings. It looked like Hall got his 500th goal 20 seconds into the third period, but it was taken away about five minutes later when the puck, sh- when the video replay showed the puck actually goes in off the net, uh, goes into the net off the leg of teammate Stefan Matteau. But it didn't matter because he would end up beating goaltender Stefan Fizet a few minutes later to complete the hat trick and become the 24th player to score 500 goals in NHL history. The Holes, Bobby and Brett, are the first father-son tandem to each score 500 goals in their career. In 2002, Ron Francis joined Wayne Gretzky as the only players in NHL history with 1,200 career assists when he sets up Jeff O'Neill's goal midway through the third period in a Carolina Hurricanes 1-0 win over the Stars. He would finish his career with 1,249 assists, second to Wayne Gretzky, over 700 less than Gretzky's. Crazy. 2016, one of my favorite players of all time, Yarmer Yager of the Florida Panthers, passes Mark Messier and moves into second place on the NHL's all-time scoring list, trailing only Wayne Gretzky. Let's move on to December 23rd. Birthdays include former Red Wings forward Johan Franzen, former Stanley Cup winner Scott Gomez, both turned 40. Welcome to the 40s club, boys. And TJ Oshie of the Washington Capitals, he's 33. On December 23, 1993, Howie Morenz of the Montreal Canadiens scores his 249th NHL goal in a 3-0 win over the Red Wings to become the league's all-time leader in goals at the time. He surpasses Cy Dennehy on his birthday, and he would finish his NHL career with 271 goals. 1978, Brian Trottier set the NHL Record for six points in the second period and finishes the game with five goals and three assists as the Islanders beat the Rangers 9-4 at the Nassau Coliseum. Trottier put the Rangers ahead 1-0 with a first-period goal, then scored three times and had three assists during the Islanders' seven-goal second period and ends his night with a third-period power play goal. A two-goal, five-point night by linemate Mike Bossy is almost an afterthought. It's the last game before Christmas for the Islanders, who take a 16-game home unbeaten streak into the break. In 1980, the Winnipeg Jets defeated the visiting Colorado Rockies 5-4 to end their 30-game winless streak, where they went 0-23-7. Willie Lidstrom's power play goal with just a minute and 50 remaining in the third period breaks a 4-4 tie. It was their first victory since defeating the Chicago Blackhawks 6-2 on October 17th. During the streak, they went through three different head coaches, Tommy McVie, Bill Sutherland, and future Chicago Blackhawks general manager Mike Smith. In 1988, Wayne Gretzky moves past Bobby Hull for fourth place in the NHL's all-time goal-scoring list by scoring two empty net goals in the Kings' 5-2 victory against the, Mont- uh, the Vancouver Canucks. 
two goals by Gretzky, give him 611 in his career. He also had two assists on the night. In 1999, Paul Coffey, once again, this time playing for the Carolina Hurricanes, has an assist in a 4-3 loss to the Ottawa Senators. become the first defenseman and eighth player overall to ever score 1,500 points in NHL history. The milestone came on an assist on Sammy Kapanen's power play goal. In the 19, uh, 2006, Mike Sillinger becomes the first NHL player to reach double figures and goals with nine different teams when he scores his 10th goal of the season in an Islanders 4 nothing win over the Blue Jackets. December 24th, yes, the NHL used to play on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day in 1949. The Montreal Canadiens and New York Rangers staged one of the best goaltending duels in NHL history when Bill Dernan of the Canadiens and Chuck Rayner of the Rangers matched saves for 60 minutes in a 0-0 tie at the Forum. It is the 31st NHL shutout for Dernan and the 17th for Rayner, who combined for the only 0-0 tie in league history to be played on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. And in 1972, in the final game ever played on Christmas Eve in NHL history, Serge, Serge Bernier scores four goals to help the Kings defeat the California Golden Seals 5-3. to three. Bernier scores once in the first period, twice in the second, then gets the game winner in the third period. Yuna, Yu, Yuha Widling of the Kings, I think I'm saying that right, but maybe not, uh, is the last player to score a Christmas Eve goal in NHL history with a little less than five minutes to go in the third period. Finally, we'll look at Christmas Day in NHL history. December 21st, former Blackhawk forward Jim Dowd will turn 51. In 1930, the Detroit Falcons, who would later be renamed the Red Wings, defeated the visiting Toronto Maple Leafs 10-1. The 10 goals are the most scored by any team on Christmas Day. The two-team high is 12 in a 8-4 Boston Bruins victory over the Pittsburgh Penguins on, in 1970. 1956, Gordie Howell celebrates Christmas with the biggest scoring night of his NHL career. Howell has six points, three goals, three assists, and a Red Wings 8-1 win over the New York Rangers. Two of the three goals come in the third period when the Red Wings blow the game wide open by scoring six goals. The hat trick is the 12th of Howell's 26 NH6 season career. 1965, Henry Richard sets up three goals for the Montreal Canadiens before, time, before scoring the game winner in a 4-3 win over the Red Wings. Richard has an assist in each period before scoring the winning goal with just over two remainings. It's the last ever Christmas Day game played at the old Montreal Forum. In 1968, Alex Del Vecchio of the Red Wings passes Maurice Richard for third place. On the NHL all-time scoring list, when he gets two assists and a 6-3 loss to the Penguins, the two assists give DeVecchio 967 points, which was third all-time at that time. In 1971, the six games on the schedule mark the last time the NHL plays on Christmas Day. In what goes down as the final NHL game played on December 25th, the California Golden Seals defeat the Los Angeles Kings 3-1 to at the Old Forum. 
Stan Gilbertson's empty net goal is the final one to ever be scored on Christmas. Earlier in the evening, the Rangers defeat the Minnesota North Stars 2-1 at the Met Center, improving their Christmas record to 25-11-2, the best all-time of any NHL team on Christmas. They have not played on Christmas Day since. And that takes care of our look at NHL history for this upcoming week. And now we'll get to our final segment of the podcast. We'll take a look at our forgotten Blackhawk of the week. Since this is episode number 15 of the Hawk Takes podcast, we'll look at Chad Kilger, who wore number 15 for 86 games for the Chicago Blackhawks between 1998 and 1999. Kilger was originally drafted fourth overall by the Anaheim Ducks in the 1995 draft. He made the team, uh, he made the Ducks opening night roster right out of training camp in 1995, where he had five goals and 12 points in 45 games. But his time with the Ducks did not last too long. On February 7th, 1996, he was traded with the, with along with Oleg Trevodovsky and a third-round pick to Winnipeg for Timu Solani, as well as a prospect and another draft pick went the other way. So Kilger was involved in one of the big biggest trades in Ducks history. And it goes to show you that they didn't have to give up a whole lot to get Timu Solani. Kilger and Oleg Trevodovsky for Timu Solani. That's a lopsided trade if I ever seen one he spent a couple years with the winnipeg then phoenix coyotes organization but most of his time was playing in the ahl he had 63 total games between the jets and then the relocated coyotes where he had six goals and 13 points total in those games he was traded to the blackhawks on march 4th 1998 along with jason moore for defenseman keith carney and def- forward jim cummings another former 15 on the Blackhawks. He had 17 goals and 36 points in 86 games with the Blackhawks. Almost a year later, on March 20th, 1999, Kilger was traded to the Edmonton Oilers along with Daniel Cleary, Ethan Moreau, and Christian Laflamme for defenseman Boris Miranoff, Dean McCammon, and Jonas Elofsson. He went on to play after his time with the Oilers. He had 87 games with the Oilers. He went on to play uh, at some lengthy stops with the Canadians and the Toronto Maple Leafs. At the NHL trade deadline on February 26, 2008, the Leafs dealt Kilger to the Florida Panthers for a third-round draft pick. He immediately requested a leave of absence from the Panthers' management, which was granted. However, he did not report to the team for a prearranged time, and on March 5th, the Panthers suspended him indefinitely without pay. Kilger failed to report to training camp at the beginning of the 2008-2009 season and officially retired on July 10, 2009. After his retirement, he became a firefighter in Cornwall, Ontario, his hometown, something he still does to this day. Overall, he played in 714 NHL games where he scored 107 goals, had 111 assists for 218 total points. Not exactly what you want to see out of a guy selected fourth overall 
in an NHL draft. We look back at that draft. Brian Burrard was taken number one overall by the Senators, and we had Wade Redden selected by the Islanders at two. Something called Aki Berg was taken third overall. Not a great draft. Uh, you really have to go down to seventh overall when Shane Doan was taken by the Jets. Um, Jerome Aginla was taken 11th overall in that draft. Uh, yeah, that first round did not produce a whole lot of exciting players. That is for sure. In case you're wondering who the Blackhawks took in that round, in that draft, they took Dmitry Nabokov, a center left winger out of Russia in 19th overall who only played in 55 NHL games so yeah not a great draft in 1995 Chad Kilger was taken fourth overall played 86 games for the Blackhawks he is our forgotten Blackhawk of the week and that's going to wrap up another episode of the Hawk Takes podcast I really appreciate you guys tuning in uh, I appreciate your support you can find me on Twitter at Greg Boyson B-O-Y-S-E-N there you'll get all my links to all my stuff over at the Hockey Writers, plus the links to the podcast and just my general uh, live updates of any AHL games I'm at or any <clears throat> Blackhawks games I'm forced to watch. You can catch it all on Twitter. You could also like the Hawk Takes Podcast Facebook page to stay updated on when new episodes are released. Uh, you can email me at gjb1979 at gmail.com if you have any comments or questions or if you'd like to become a sponsor of the podcast. Uh, I also host Trivia on Tuesdays and Wednesday nights f at Firewater Saloon. Tuesday nights up on the north side in Edison Park. Wednesday nights on the south side at Mount Greenwood. We'll be taking a two-week break here for the holidays, but we'll be back the first week of January and every Tuesday and Wednesday night after that. You can follow me online, too, to get your weekly clues as far as trivia. I'd love to see you guys at a trivia night. They are a lot of fun. And, uh, again, I appreciate you guys listening. You know, I wish you guys a Merry Christmas. If you're celebrating another holiday over these next couple of weeks, may it be a great one. We will see you guys here next Thursday. And uh, don't forget to check in on your loved ones over these next few days. As somebody who is dealing with grief and spending his first Christmas uh, without his soulmate, it's tough. So if you know somebody out there that's struggling, just... Send them a little message of love. Let them know you're thinking about them. Trust me when I say this. It means the world. And it makes smiles are few and far between these days. So anytime you get one, it is appreciated. And on that note, we will talk to you next week. Be good to yourselves. Be good to one another. And we'll catch you here in a week at the Hawk Takes Podcast.